Hey everyone, welcome to the Hope Young Adult Ministry Podcast. My name is David, and we have a special guest for this edition of Community Conversations. Joining us is Justin Whitmill Early. Justin is a lawyer, author, and speaker, and our conversation is all about habits. He talks about how we live in an age of distraction, and if we're not intentional about our habits, we'll fall into the habits and pressures of this world. That includes being addicted to our technology and exhausted by our routines. Justin lays out some daily and weekly practices to break us out of some of these unhealthy habits we may have and how we can have habits with purpose that will draw us closer to Jesus. It may just allow us to find the freedom and rest that so many of us are searching for. I hope you enjoy this conversation. All right, Justin Early, thank you for joining us. We appreciate you hopping on with, with us today. Uh, you are a uh, speaker, author. You talk a lot about habits, spiritual formation. Thanks for joining us today. You bet, David. Thanks for having me. So with, with the idea of habits, I want to I wanna ask you a question about a, a habit my wife has. Um, she has a notes app on her phone that keeps a list of baby names and she's been having this list for probably 10 to 12 years now. Just whenever she sees a name that she likes, she adds it to the list. And I wanted to pose this question for you because I know you, you have four boys. Um, you've, you've had to come up with four different boy names. And um, yeah, that's so, right, that's right. so I want to ask you about that. Um, what was that process coming up with their names? And was there a notes app involved in any of that process? <laughs> no, your wife is much more prepared than I was. And you can tell her I said so. Tell her I admire her habit there. That's that's a long time though to be coming up with names. Um I we 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 did pick our names really carefully. Um we're big into like picking meaning in the in the name. So Justin Whitmore Early is my name and my first son Whit is my junior, but he goes by the middle name. Um and that's because the the name dates back to like great great grandfathers, which I think is really cool. A second son is Asher, and he was named for um, the happiness of God we found in friendship. So Asher means the blessing of God um, or the happiness of God. And his full name, wait for it, is Asher, Stephen, Matthew, Early, Early. And so Asher, Stephen, Matthew, Early. And Stephen and Matthew, Stephen, Matt are my two best friends. So, And then Coulter, Robert, Early uh, is our third, and we call him Colt. But he's actually named after the... um, Wendell Berry family, the Coulters, if anybody's read their, their books. So like Wendell Berry has a family in his books, they're called the Coulters. And, and then, uh, our youngest Shep was his name, Shepherd. Um, he's sort of named for the Lord, Psalm 23, the Lord is our shepherd. So we, but the reason I like them all, and I'll stop with this is because a lot big names, but you can shorten them all. Ash, Wick, Colt, Shep, get over here, Shep. It's like really, it's really easy to be like, boys. <laughs> yeah, that's big. I have a, I have a big two syllable rule. You can, it's the max is two syllables. We can't have yeah, any kids go. with three yeah. syllables. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. no um, Maximilian or anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you talk about different kinds of habits. Um, those that relate to spiritual formation. So I want to just open by asking you what role do habits play uh, as it relates to our spiritual walks? My big thing that I talk about over and over and over is that habits form us, period. Mentally, physically, spiritually. I think the big epiphany for me that I had 
was I had no idea how much my spiritual life and my mental and emotional life was formed by habits. I, I kind of thought most of my life that what my head, if my head was on right, if my worldview was right, then the rest of my life would follow. Um, and I had a real, really difficult period in my early lawyering career, which is only about seven, eight years ago, where I basically had an anxiety crash. And the, the short story there is I used to be a missionary in China. And then I felt the Lord calling me to, to live missionally within law and business. So I went to law school and I really ran at it with all the fervor of a man on a call. So, you know, I, I did really well. I graduated around the top of my class. I got my dream job in mergers and acquisitions. And I really did. And I would have said and really been able to articulate the reasons why I felt I was following the Lord's call into law. But the habits of my life, I'll say like the house of my life was decorated with Christian content of calling, but the architecture of my habits were exactly like everybody else's. And I never really thought how spiritually significant that was until I absolutely crashed from anxiety my first year of lawyering. And um, I got to a place within, because I, you know, I was going so hard. I was always staying up later, waking up earlier, always adding more, always paying attention to my screens, um, always overbooking myself because that's what we all did. So I didn't really, it was the water we swam in, right? As law students and young lawyers. And I don't think that's that different from, you know, typical American culture. We might sort of be like on crack, but I mean, this is also typical American life. So um, it was after that crash, I got to a point where, um, after a few months of like this, like panic insomnia, I wasn't able to sleep unless I was taking pills or having a few glasses of wine. And I realized that the missionary to law and business had been converted to the nervous medicating lawyer. And I had not changed anything in my world. I never thought anything different. Um, and so it was in the wake of that, that I slowly, and it was a slow process. So, you know, I'm, I'm looking over my shoulder thinking about all this now, but I eventually came to realize that my habits, I've been converted to my habits. Um, they had led me into a new heart posture towards, you know, the Lord, towards my work, towards my life. And so what I tell people now is that when, you're, when your head goes this way, but your habits go that way, your heart is always going to follow the habits. And that's why I just, I can't stop talking and writing and thinking in my own life now about how much small, ordinary daily routines form us mentally and spiritually in extraordinary ways. And I think the real full, robust life of, of faith following Jesus means that you're, you are intertwining your, your head and your heart and your habits in sort of like a holistic Christian life. And so for me, that means writing and thinking a lot about the spiritual disciplines in ordinary, modern applications. Yeah, I love that. I would love to get into the habits in, in just a minute specifically, but I want to lean a little bit into some of the distractions. Like you, uh, in your in your book, The Common Rule, you talk about how we live in the age of distraction. Um, what are what are some of the what are some of the dangers of that? Um, I mean, you you alluded to some of these, but I know you know we can get so overwhelmed with work, um, and we can. Um, you know, numb some of the feelings, some of the things that we're going with, just with with alcohol, with entertainment, with our phones. Uh, what what are some of the dangers of just living in this age of distraction? Yeah, yeah. My favorite, you know, people talk about like a life verse. Um, 
I feel like I have a life chapters. Um, Genesis one and two have become incredibly, incredibly important to me because I read those over and over. And I just think about how we were created for relationship and presence. You know, like the story of the Bible begins in this place where man is with God and with other people, like man and woman are together. And that's the good life. Like that's we're, we're we were made to be with God and with others. And that idea of presence is the the exact thing that is shattered in the fall. Like as soon as Adam and Eve eat the fruit, that's when they start clothing themselves, hiding themselves from each other. That's when they start hiding in the garden from God. And, and that's the reason they're sent out of God's perfect presence. And then you can look at the rest of the Bible and and in one way, interpret it, and I think this is not the whole picture, but it's an accurate picture, is God coming back to find his people and be present with them and trying to bring them back. You know, this is like the pillars of smoke and fire in the Old Testament. This is the, the tabernacles and the tents and the temple. God trying to be with his people. This is Jesus, Emmanuel, God being with us, sending his Holy Spirit. And the, and the end of Revelation is where we are his people and he is our God. You know, That's what Revelation, I believe chapter 19 and 20 um, are talking about. And so I think about that and I think about, okay, this means that in the human DNA, our spiritual DNA, we long for presence with God and with others. And I don't think it takes a cultural critic or a rocket scientist or anybody smart just to realize that the age we live in is particularly uh, prone to distraction. This is not a new thing. I mean, this is like human nature, but we have found ourselves adapting to new technologies, which are rapidly shifting and changing the way the world uh, is and the way the default posture of a human being is. And now the default posture of a human being is to be away and distracted. So most of our interactions with other people are now mediated through screens or texts or, you know, voice messages. And even when we're with people, embodied presence, which is what we're made for, even when we're with people, there are constant distractions to that presence. You know, everybody knows what it's like. To, it's like, it's just weird to walk by a restaurant and look in and see people at a table looking at their phones instead of each other. And nobody looks at that and thinks, yes, this is the way the world was meant to develop. You know, everybody looks at it like, oh, no. And yet all of us slip into that. So I think, and I tell people this all the time, and I, I really do mean it. I think how we use our screens is probably the most important factor in our discipleship to Jesus in this moment. I don't know if that's always true or whether it would always be true. But in this particular moment, when we are, we are like, screens are like the way that we use them. I mean, think about like Netflix, iPhones, like the, the, the internet, the way it is now like 12 years old, maybe, you know, 13, like in adolescence, we are all adolescents when it comes to understanding how to use screens. And so we have to realize that we are being discipled by them. It, they're not neutral in the, like, that is the worst word to use for any technology or screen. It is not neutral. It wants you to do something. It wants you to go somewhere. It wants you to believe a certain kind of thing. So we, we I think we just have to think really, really hard about how are we being discipled by screens? And how are they changing our presence, our attention, um, the way that we relate to others? And how can we use them well and put, put safe and good and healthy habits around them so that we can do what we're made for? And that is to be present with God and neighbor and love God and neighbor, because that's our spiritual DNA. So 
long answer. I just want to make sure people know that when I criticize screens, not because I don't like them. I use them all the time. I love them. I just want to make sure we use them in a way that that allows us to run to God and neighbor rather than being distracted from God and neighbor. So you don't you don't have a flip phone. You're you're not rocking the flip phone gang. <laughs> no, no, I respect those who do. I, I got you know it's on silent and away from me, but I got you know my my phone right here, and I I respect a lot of uh, some of my friends do this, or they they go back to the light phone and stuff like that. I'm a I'm a corporate lawyer, like I am paid to be in touch with my clients to answer their emails, like my and then you know and I write and speak and I am on social media and I do write books. And I, I, one of the great ways to get good ideas out to the world is through the internet and stuff. So I actually really like people to know I'm not a Luddite in any sense. Um, I do think that everybody needs to have a careful set of habits that surround their use of screens. Like we would never look somebody in the eye and tell them, you don't really need to think about how you use alcohol. Just sort of do whatever you want, whenever you want. Like, if, if if somebody's sipping from a flask of Jack Daniels all day, every day, we never word for that. They're an alcoholic. It's dangerous. And it's probably going to ruin their life and the lives around them. But, you know, when we're sipping from the flask of Facebook just a little bit every day, all day, we look at that and say, well, that's normal, and neutral. It's not. It's ruining their life and ruining lives around them. And we need to have, I think, a robust set of ethics around the way. And I think it comes mostly through habits of the ways that we will and will not interact with technology so we can use it for good. And had not have it use us for evil. Yeah, I would probably have a smartphone if there were a smartphone that still had the blue text messages, the the iMessage. Um, but <laughs> you you talked about the you alluded to some of the the, the guardrails, the habits surrounding smartphones. Mm-hmm. Um, what what are some of those things? What do you what do you recommend? What do you uh, have found that works? Yeah. So I told you about my anxiety crash. Um, what was so interesting is about a year after that, I found myself at a table with my two best friends, Stephen and Stephen Matt, Matt um, for my son's name, Stephen Matthew. Um, I'm sitting with them and I'm asking them to keep me accountable to this rhythm of daily habits. And I didn't think any of this was going to matter that much because they were too small to matter, I thought. But I had no idea how much the smallest, most ordinary patterns of our days and weeks really do impact our souls spiritually. And so my life began to completely change after this moment. And some of the habits that were on that table that I still do now and and wrote about in the common rule are um, scripture before phone, an hour a day with my phone off, a weekly habit of limiting my media intake so that I choose well and what I do pick. So I just take those three right there. Those are like technologically oriented habits. Scripture before phone is one of the most formative rhythms of my life right now. I did it this morning. I do it every morning. I don't even think about it now because it's habit, right? So I just, I go, I, I will not look at the news about Ukraine right now. We're recording this while Russia is invading Ukraine. We're recording this at the tail end of a pandemic. We're recording this just a year after the race riots. So, I mean, like the news is wild. We live in like the, the 1960s version of the 2020s. I mean, history will remember this decade. If you start your day in the news and the chaos of that, if you start your day in the work emails, if you start your day in the envy of social media, it has, it'll pull on your heartstrings, right? It'll tell you that you, you shouldn't feel safe today. Uh, you should be more like so-and-so today. You should work to earn your you know, identity today. Those are dangerous things. Um, and so for me, going to scripture before phone means in some small rhythmic way, 
I remind myself, um, or rather, I put myself in the way of God's reminder. I think that's the best way to put it. You sort of like walk into the highway of grace. Like you're not, you're not really running the show here. You're not doing the power here, but you're you're availing yourself to the message of grace, which is God loves you before you accomplish anything. God loves you even when the world's falling apart. God is the one who holds the world together, and he, what He thinks about you in the world is way more important than what Twitter and TikTok think about it. And that is the that is a radical flip in my life that allows me to go out into the world to love people rather than to go out in the world looking for love. And I know that, like I was saying, like my head has thought stuff like that for years, but it was when my habits adjusted to, to put myself in the rhythm of that kind of grace. And I mean, there's a reason the Bible talks all the time about reading God's word. It's powerful. Like it does not return void. And so working that habit into my life, which is otherwise a busy father, a busy corporate lawyer, you know, I've got a lot to do. But nothing's more important than that first moment. And that just really, it fundamentally reshapes my day every day. Um, Similarly, the second habit I told you about, turning my phone off for an hour each day. This is just like I, I, you, and anybody could easily live a life tethered to it all the time. I mean, there's always another message to answer, literally. I always have another client waiting for an answer on an email. I've always got another you know, tweet or post that I could put out. There's always another article to read. Turning my phone off every day, I usually do like 6 to 7 p.m., sometimes 6 to 8 p.m. because I'm around my wife and kids then. It's just, I'm so like, I look forward to this hour. I used to be scared. Like I used to be like, oh no, someone's going to call. Like I'm going to miss an important client email. Now I just look forward to it because it's the time where I'm like, that work is aside and the work of being a relational parent, a husband to my wife, a, a friend and a, and a host to whoever happens to be in my house. Like there were three neighborhood kids in my house yesterday. Just, just be able to pay attention to them, like to play a role in their life. That is just, that's the real like work of the Christian life to be present with people and to love them. And so it's such a formative rhythm for me to turn my phone off for an hour each day and remember that um, I was made for this rhythm of pre- presence. I'm also made for work and that happens a lot of the day, but I was made for presence too. And that allows me to be present. So I'll, I'll pause there because I know there's, that's a lot of information just in those two habits. Yeah. I want to, I want to lean into one point you made and just the idea of, you know, when you, when you started this new habit, how, how terrifying it was, you know, breaking, breaking mm-hmm. habits and replacing them with other habits is, is never easy. It's never a flip of the switch. Um, what what kind of what kind of things did you do or what what things do you recommend for people to um replace some of those habits or to implement some of the the habits that you've recommended yeah yeah i recommend community above all else and what i mean by that is i am awful just like everybody else at doing anything that i say i want to do alone i'm just and nobody is like we are people of excuses. You know, you say like, I'm going to fast tomorrow. I'm going to try to not look at that website tomorrow. I'm going to quit porn forever. I'm going to, you know, just like we say these things and then tomorrow comes and we're like, well, you know, the power of having somebody else that knows what you intend to do and then will go ask you about it fundamentally changes the human condition. Why? Because like we talked about in Genesis, you're not hidden anymore. Somebody's like pulling you out of the bushes and be like, what are you looking at on your phone? How often are you looking at what are you doing scripture before phone? Like you said, you were going to do. So when I sat down, I don't think I knew how 
powerful this moment was. But when I sat down with my friend Steve and Matt at that table and I said, can you keep me accountable to this rhythm of habits? I was doing two things that I, I had no idea how powerful they were. One, I was committing to a different rhythm of life. And what I mean by that is everybody has a rhythm of life. Everybody has habits. No one doesn't have them. So everybody has a set of habits right now that is forming them into a certain kind of person. And you cannot expect to be a different kind of person until you start changing those habits. So you might be hearing this and you're like, I don't have time for all these habits. I'm like, yes, you do. Cause you, you, you have yours right now. You, you, the question is like, <laughs> the question is not, you know, whether you have spiritually formative habits, it's just which ones do you have? Cause they're leading you in worship of something. So I, I think I, I was stumbling into the way of like a formative program of habits. And I was also stumbling into, into community in a really, really impactful way. Cause those friends kept me accountable. They said, you know, you said you were going to turn your phone off an hour every day. Have you been doing it? And in fact, you know, when I knew they were going to ask about it, I really tried to keep it up, you know, and, um, and that's just the, that's God's grace of community and accountability. Everybody should have it. So if you tried, for example, scripture before phone, I would just find another friend and I would say, Hey, listen to this podcast I heard on this and do it together. Try it for four weeks together. And you'll both find incredible thing happens after a couple of weeks of doing this, you stop thinking about it. And the beauty of habit has set in, it sinks from your top brain to your lower brain. You don't even have to think about it. And that's when you can add another one. So instead of trying to do it all at once, you can add another one then. And it takes literally no extra mental energy. I, I often say habits are weightless or light. You know, once you've got it in place, you can add another one. And that's how you become like really strong and really healthy. Um, like in exercise, like we know this, if you just do the same thing every day, it becomes easier, almost mindless. And then you can add something else. And that is true in our spiritual lives, um, but it doesn't happen without community. Yeah. So start with one. Uh, we've talked about smartphones to give people more options in their in their start for one. Uh, walk us through some of the other um, habits that that you recommend. Yeah, some of the other ones I have, um, and people can go online at, and look this look up the book. It's called The Common Rule. And you can go to thecommonrule.org, and I lay out four daily habits and four weekly habits. And there's a lot on the website. You can just explore. But another one of my favorites is um, on the on the idea of community. We're just talking about the week. I, I talk about a weekly habit of spending an hour in conversation with friends. And like I was just saying, like we all live in a current. We all live in a slant. And the, I think the slant of American life is to become busier, wealthier more successful people who used to have friends. And we're talking, you know, primarily right now to a group of young adults, right? People who like graduated college um, and are maybe working their way through their 20s. That decade right there is so incredibly important because you're you're defining what life is going to look like for the long haul. Everybody knows your life doesn't look like what it looked like in college. Like college is just wildly unique. And lots of times we have these wonderful Christian communities just because we're in a campus ministry or a great church or something like that. But when you graduate and you start picking jobs and places to live, you completely redefine how your normal life is going to look. And that's where lots of us start to move into isolation rather than like we lose community. And so the one of the most countercultural and radical things we can do is say, no, yes, life gets busy. When you have kids, yes, life is going to get hard and tiring. 
when you start to have success in your work, and I hope that you do, like it's going to become demanding. And yet all of these will fall apart if you don't have friendships that sustain you. And I, I, I like to say, um, you know, one of the ways to sum up the gospel is that God knows us fully and loves us anyway. Like he knows all the inner darkness and mess and he's sticking around. And a great friend is exactly the same. It's somebody who knows you fully and sticks around anyway. And I think true friendships like that in, incarnate or make new the gospel to us in, in, in a real live flesh way. Like when I, I'm still, I still meet with Steve and Matt every other week and we do accountability together. These are my two best friends and they know, they know everything about me. Like, you know, David, you and I just met and none of these listeners know anything about me. They don't know any of my secrets, but Matt and Steve do. And it makes me feel so strong and loved by God and them that they know me and love me anyway. And I think that rhythm of friendship in our lives is something to protect because the current of American life will, like everybody knows we want friends. And this is not an argument of common sense. Everybody knows it. It's an, it's an argument for common practice. We actually, if we're going to live that beautiful life of friendship, we need to work it into our schedule. And so finding those weekly rhythms of, of friendship, I think is just one of the most important things that anybody can do for your life, especially starting it when you're young. Yeah, talk more about that because your uh, new book deals with kind of the gospel-centered habits of of parenting and um, you know how to how to navigate those habits uh, starting a family or having a family. So you know for 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 the young adults listening, what's what's the importance of implementing some of those spiritual habits and practices now um, when they may have a little bit more freedom, a little bit more uh, free time? Um, what's the importance of starting those now so that when they do start a family for those who do, um, that those habits are already sort of ingrained in them and it's, it's part of their rhythm, part of their flow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so the book you're talking about, I have both of them next to me, um, habits of the household. And I hold it up just to emphasize this word household, because this, this is a parenting book. I mean, essentially it's about applying this wisdom of habits as spiritual formation to parenting, but Everyone has a household, okay? And so everybody can start thinking about this now. The question is, again, what kind of formative rhythms are happening out of the place that you call home? Um, that is one of the most important things that you can think about in order to prepare for being a spouse or, the, or a father and a mother. And I mean, I'll put it like this. My whole argument as we've been talking um, I'm a lawyer, so I call, you know, I call like conversations arguments, <laughs> uh, but like the whole thesis I've been trying to build is that we become our habits. Our habits sort of pave the way for who we become. Um, when you think about a household, you suddenly realize, okay, we become our habits and our kids become us. So the rhythms of our household are incredibly important to the spiritual formation of our kids and those who we live with. So when I think about leading my wife spiritually. And when I think about being a father to my children, the very first thing that I think about is, am I a disciple of Jesus? Not what have I said to them? Not what have I done to them? Not what, what am I doing? Or what am I going to, what family devotion am I going to plan or what conversation? No, first and foremost, if they just are close to my life and watching me, are they looking at a man who looks at Jesus? Are, are they, is my wife in love with a man who is in love with Jesus? Is she living beside a man who actually reads Jesus's word, 
who prays to him, who's not ashamed to talk about him um, and not ashamed to lead her and the kids in prayer. You know, those that just those my personal spiritual rhythms, even the friendship one that I talked about, like, am I a am I a dad who's lonely and angry and isolated and becoming scary from all the secrets he can he carries? Or am I a dad who often I tell my kids like, hey, I'm going out to see, you know, your Uncle Matt or your Uncle Steve or um, because they know me as somebody who leaves the house to go hang out with them. Um, and I think I want them to see that. I want them to know that I'm not strong on my own, but I am strong with my friends. I am not strong on my own, but I am strong when I encounter the word of God every day. Um, those kind of those ways of fatherly strength. I just want them to see that. And I think, yes, like my wife and I do then talk and we pray together and there's a lot of things to our marriage. And yes, we do have rhythms of family devotions with our kids and conversations, but that's just so far down the line from them watching who you are. I mean, who you are is going to be your most impactful gift to the world. What it's going to be the, the way that you change your church, the way you change your job, the way you change your community before you do anything is just going to be who you are. And so I just encourage people to pay attention to their own rhythms of spiritual formation so they can be strong in the most gracious and godly sense for the families that they're going to enter into. Love it. Well, Justin, I could talk to you for hours about this topic. It's been really insightful. I think my my pick one habit is going to be stricture, scripture before phone. And as tempting yeah, as can't go wrong with that one. <laughs> as tempting as it will be for me to wake up in the morning and send baby names to my wife, I'm gonna I'm gonna start in scripture instead. <laughs> um, but there you go. but Justin, I appreciate it. Thank you for uh, taking the time to to be with us today, and uh, we appreciate all your insight. I well, I really enjoyed it, David. Thanks for thanks for the questions. Um, I, you know, I encourage that habit because you'll find a lot of good baby names in scripture. You can't go <laughs> wrong with names like Asher from the Old Testament stuff. And let me, let me just leave um, our listeners with, with this. If you've been listening to this and think, oh, this is hard or like, I just need to change my life. I just want to remind you that your, your habits don't change God's love for you. And none of this conversation should lead you to think you need to try harder and order your life. No, your habits won't change God's love for you, but God's love for you can and should change your habits. And that's what this whole conversation is about. It's about responding to the love of God with rhythms that say, I want to honor that. I want to live in that. That's the that's the light burden. That's the easy yoke of Jesus. And it's it's a beautiful life. It's way better than the one we live in the default American cultural life. So go in grace and know that God loves you and that your habits should be changed by that. Thanks so much for joining us today. If you're interested in learning more about our ministry, head over to gethope.net slash young adult. And be sure to subscribe to this podcast for more episodes. 